This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Welcome. Good afternoon and welcome. The Republican National Convention is getting underway in Cleveland, but it's being overshadowed by another big story in the U.S., which seems to be setting the tone for the GOP convention. Investigators in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, are trying to figure out what led a former U.S. Marine to take down three law enforcement officers. We know he was likely fueled by anger from the police killings of two African-American men, one of them in Baton Rouge, and the shooting and killing of five police officers in Dallas. So with police shootings and shootings of police officers in the background. What can we expect from the Republican National Convention? Anthony Fisher is a journalist and associate editor of Reason.com. He's in Cleveland for the convention. And Michael Diamond from Upstream, Upstream Strategy Group will weigh in on the Canadian perspective. First, Anthony, thanks for joining us. What's the atmosphere like there at the convention? Uh, thanks for having me. I can tell you right now, it's kind of it kind of feels like the calm before the storm. It kind of feels like uh, you know there's a, there's a tremendous uh, security presence. Uh, you know, Secret Service. There's over two thousand uh, local law enforcement and uh, people that have been uh, law enforcement officers brought in from outside cities. Um, and really, right now, it's just kind of like media and delegates sort of assembling. The events haven't really started yet. Um, but scattered protests are happening around the city, and uh, it's just everybody's just kind of gearing up for uh, you know what, what what people you know. There's, there's a certain amount of tension, but really nothing nothing's happened just yet. What kind of protests are going on? You say out is like outside the convention in various spots around the city. What does that feel like? Yeah, well, I mean, the the, uh, the, the secure zone around the uh, convention is 1.7 square miles. Um, and so anyone that's really in that area has to abide by a really strict set of rules. Uh, it, I mean, even things like backpacks are restricted. Tennis balls are restricted. Um, and so anyone who's planning on protesting is uh, strictly permitted. Uh, you know, we took, we took a, a media van from the uh, Quicken Loans Arena, which is the, where the actual convention is, to the convention center where about several thousand media are, are assembled. This is kind of where the media filing center is. And between those two uh, arenas, we saw several protests kind of just started starting to gear up. But they only looked to like maybe a few dozen people were there. Like, like I, I, it really doesn't feel like uh, anything's happened yet. But I've just, you know, just by checking Twitter and, and just by, uh, you know, a few of my sources, I'm aware of several permitted protests that are going to be happening uh, in the downtown area, both within and and outside the secure zone over the next few days. Let's just back up there for a second. And we were talking about this this morning on our Happy Gang show about the tennis balls that they're that they're not not that anybody would bring a tennis ball to a convention. But what's that all about? You got me. I mean, there's a (laughs) there's a whole lot of things uh, like, like, for instance, backpacks are specifically banned, but uh, you know, 
uh, like so I, I just just before I got on the plane this morning, I switched all of my computer gear out of my backpack and into a computer sized bag, which is basically the same size bag. Right. Uh, it, I, I think it's, it has to do with the optics. Uh, you know, going back to the Boston Marathon bombing. Yes. So I have brothers used backpacks. Therefore, backpacks are something that are specifically associated with terrorists. Right. Terrorist even even though if you even though if you had an over over the shoulder bag, as you're saying, it's yeah. effectively the same thing, except you're wearing it on a different part of your body. Yeah, just makes it a little harder for all of us. You yeah. know, I have to carry it over one shoulder. I, I again, the tennis ball thing, I don't get. Uh, the gas masks are specifically banned within the secure zone. Uh, which, you know, is, you know, to me, like, I don't understand how, you know, a preventative measure, like, you know, the, the helmets and flak jackets are, are things that security officers are allowed to wear, and the the, uh, the helmets and flak jackets journalists are allowed to wear, but the gas masks are, particular, are specifically off-limits. No one's been able to explain it to me. I've asked, I've asked, uh, you know, uh, the, the Secret Service, you know, media department, I've asked uh, local law enforcement, and nobody's really being too forthcoming with how this list was put together. We're chatting with Anthony Fisher, associate editor of Reason.com, a journalist in the United States who's right there at the Republican National Convention in Cleveland. If you have a question, you're wondering yourself maybe specifically about what's going on there, 416-360-0740, Of course, your comments are welcome as to what you think uh, Donald Trump presidency would mean to the U.S to the world and maybe specifically to Canada. And we will get into that part of the conversation later this half hour. How did we get here, Anthony? How did we get here with Donald Trump as the presumptive nominee when five years ago people would have thought that was a big joke and that never would have happened? I think one year ago people thought it was a big joke and it would have never happened. Uh, I do think that it's clearly the most... um, populist-driven outsider uh, year uh, in recent memory as far as electoral politics. Let's not forget that Hillary Clinton, who has been basically the presumptive nominee of the Democratic Party since since, uh, inauguration night 2009, had a hell of a time making it to the nomination uh, against a little-known socialist senator from Vermont. You know, the the populism and the outsider and the establishment feeling is only specific to the Republican Party. I think, but uh, with the Republicans, they didn't have a larger-than-life uh, pres- uh, uh, kind of heir apparent to the, to the nomination the way Hillary Clinton was. They had a whole lot of people. Uh, I mean, like before Donald Trump came about, Ted Cruz was the Republican uh, establishment's worst nightmare. He was the insurgent. And then once uh, you know the, the uh, Republican primaries ran its course, people were saying, "Okay, at least I can I can sort of live with Ted Cruz." But um, you know, the fact that he was the the, uh, the closest competitor to, to, to Trump shows you how strong that anti-establishment feeling was this particular electoral cycle. And yet a number of opinion polls suggest Donald Trump heads into the GOP convention as one of the most unpopular major party nominees ever. Yes. I, well, that's, I mean, actually, it's, it's uh, uh, Clinton and Trump. are the, the, Ever since they started taking these kind of polls, they are each the most unpopular, most distrusted, disliked uh, major party candidates since they've been taking these polls. Trump, at this point, is more disliked, more distrusted than Clinton, but they are both uh, widely reviled by a great deal of the American populace. So what happens on day one, today of the convention? 
Uh, well, today's today's theme is uh, each each theme has a uh, uh, excuse me each day of the convention has a theme that is loosely based on Trump's "Make America Great Again" slogan. Today is "Make America Safe Again," so it's uh, it's it's focused mostly on uh, national security. Uh, and you know, the, that said, it, 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 there's if you look at the list of speakers, it doesn't I'm not really entirely sure what the certain speakers like uh, Trump's wife Melania. Uh, Scott Baio, a, a one-time famous actor who was on Happy Days and, and Charles in Charge, the Duck Dynasty guy. Uh, these are these are the people speaking today. Oh, I mean, uh, you also have uh, Governor, former Texas Governor Perry. Uh, you've got Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, who is uh, uh, one of the people on Trump's short list. Um, but today, today's the National Security Day. And how likely is it that? there could be something disruptive to happen to uh, prevent Donald Trump from becoming the nominee. Is there anything that could go on? We're ta- we're reading about how some delegates are planning to try to force a state-by-state vote, which could disrupt floor proceedings, even if they fail. Well, I, I don't know if I could put it into a percentage number. Anything is possible. If there's one thing this electoral cycle has proven, anything is possible to rule anything out. But it does seem... Even if there is somebody, uh, some group uh, that stages a walkout or, or tries to do a state-by-state uh, procedural vote, or you know, there's been a push. Uh, some delegates in certain states have been trying to be freed to vote their conscience. Uh, they could, they could try. It's possible there could be some kind of mutiny, but it does seem like over the last two months, the uh, the Republican mainstream has kind of reluctantly, begrudgingly, kind of been towing the line, kind of. Say, hey, this is this is it. This is our nominee. You know, when 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 Paul Ryan went there, that was pretty much the end of any hope of a successful never Trump insurgency. But again, never rule anything out, or at least never rule an attempt at uh, some kind of palace intrigue. Well, right. Evidence of that, I'm reading about Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, uh, who's been a reluctant supporter of Trump. And, and he's saying fears and concerns about Democrat Hillary Clinton are the most compelling things that will unite Republicans behind Donald Trump. Do you, do you, do you think that that is ultimately going to happen, that Republicans, their fear of Hillary will override their fear of Donald Probably. I mean, the, the, way I, the way I see it is, like, a lot of the people who, you know, like, like Rand Paul, who, you know, really, you know, they, he and Trump really went at it during the primary season, and I don't think they have very much uh, politically in common. But he's just hung back and said, oh, I will, I will do what I said I would always do, which is support the nominee. But he's not here. And uh, other than, you know, Trump's political, former political rivals like Chris Christie and Ben Carson and Rick Perry, who uh, have endorsed Trump, uh, you know, made it, made it a point to actively endorse him. The rest of them are not here. Marco Rubio has no plans to be here. Um, so I think it's it's just a matter of, uh, you know, if Trump wins, fine, we beat Hillary. If Trump loses, we these people who didn't actively endorse him have certain have a certain amount of plausible deniability to their reputations, and they can basically say, hey, it was never me. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Anthony Fisher, American journalist, uh, joining us from the GOP convention in Cleveland. A lot of Zoomers, those of us who are fifty plus, remember well. Probably read the book The Art of the Deal back in the mid nineteen eighties. Now Tony Schwartz, who co-authored that book with Donald Trump, has come out and publicly dissed Donald Trump in a big way. 
I haven't slept a night through since Donald Trump announced for president because I believe he is so uh, insecure, so easily provoked, and not, not particularly nearly as smart as people might imagine he is. And in the face of somebody like Putin provoking him cleverly, because Putin's a heck of a lot smarter than Donald Trump, I do worry that with the nuclear codes, he would end civilization as well, we give, know it. Give- Anthony, that's huge. If he had the nuclear codes, he could end civilization as we know it. The guy who wrote The Art of the Deal. This blew yeah, me away. What do you think about that? I mean, he's had some, this, this, this particular author has had some time to make his, uh, his uh, opinions known. I'm not sure why he waited. If it's, if he, if it's such a uh, existential concern of his, I, I don't know why he waited until he had absolutely no influence. You know, to to keep Donald Trump from uh, getting the uh, the nomination, I you know my my personal feeling is I, I I think Donald Trump lacks the temperament to be the chief executive. But I'm I'm certainly concerned about his erratic behavior and what that could mean when it comes to the nuclear codes or dealing with, with you know a crisis like what happened in Turkey this past weekend. Um, but I also you know I'm I'm always a little suspicious of of, of people who uh, you know kind of pick this. A specific moment to to have a crisis of conscience. Um, I think it's a little late for that. Fair enough. Hal from Kitchener, you're on Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. What would you like to add to the conversation? Yeah, I just wanted to comment on the tennis balls. Okay. Like hard balls and soft balls and and golf balls, they're all solid. You can't put anything inside. Right. Tennis balls can be stuffed with anything. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense, doesn't it, Anthony? They're hollow. There's nothing inside a tennis ball. Yeah. You can put a bomb, anything inside a tennis ball. Right. Actually, that makes a lot of sense, Anthony. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, I I, I do remember, you know, uh, kids doing doing stuff, you know, making tennis balls flame and playing, you know, flaming tennis hockey when I was was a kid. So, yeah, Yeah. bad things can be done with tennis balls, but it, it seems a little oddly specific considering that you could do, like, for that matter, you could do you could put something explosive in a water bottle, right? Or, I know, you know plastic water bottles were banned. That's right. You could pretty much put them in anything—a basketball as well, a bar, right? A bar of soap, a volleyball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we thank you so much for your time, Anthony. Lots more questions for you, but uh, time is of the essence here, and um, the convention goes on for four days. So perhaps we'll chat again. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. 416-360-0740, we are continuing our conversation about the Republican convention in Cleveland with Michael Diamond. He's joining us from Upstream Strategy Group, and Torontonians will also know him from his U.S. political writings in the Toronto Sun. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, a Huffington Post story came out a couple of weeks ago saying Donald Trump not Brexit is the true threat 
to Canada's economy. And that's because the presumptive U.S. Republican nominee has publicly mused about renegotiating NAFTA. How likely is that to happen and what would that mean for us? Well, there's a number of roadblocks. Donald Trump, when he launched his presidential campaign last year and started talking about tariffs and ripping up trade deals, seems to have uh, forgot how the separation of powers in the United States actually works. So the president can't unilaterally pull out of a trade deal. Uh, so so he, not only would he have to win the election, he would have to have both a House of Representatives and a supportive Senate. Uh, so not, not necessarily just a Republican-controlled uh, legislative branch, but a Trump-controlled legislative branch to get that through. So his rhetoric is certainly concerning uh, and should be concerning to Canadians. The fact is the president does have limited powers, which is something that uh, Mr. Trump seems to not uh, fully comprehend or for the purpose of rhetoric chooses to not comprehend. But what is a worst case scenario for us? As Canadians, uh, the, the worst case scenario would be, uh, you know, for, for Canadians who are pro-trade, uh, having a uh, American government and the, the branches working uh, in concert together to pull out of NAFTA. I just think it's uh, incredibly unlikely. And it's interesting, after this report came out, this Huffington Post story, the TD Bank said rhetoric on protectionism might have more bark than bite. Presidents tend to take a softer tone on free trade once they end up in office. Is, but is, would Donald Trump perhaps be the exception to that rule? Donald Trump, I mean, he's a, he's a known unknown, so we don't know what his uh, governing record would look like because we have nothing to look back on. But if you, I, I think the TD language was, was very accurate because if you look back to 2008 and the very vicious primary between Hillary Clinton and uh, Barack Obama at the time, uh, they, were both, they were both talking about trade, and Barack Obama was certainly anti-NAFTA, and we've seen zero movement on that in his eight years in, in office. So again, the bark, as TD said, the bark is often worse than the bite. Uh, Mr. Trump is an unknown quantity in government and in politics, so we'll have to, we'd have to wait and see. But again, it would be highly unlikely, I think. Michael, what are you thinking about uh, the future, the near future, the next four days at the convention and uh, all the way to November? How do you think things are going to play out? You know, for, for the convention, I mean, these are highly produced, highly organized circuses or carnivals, big shows at the best of time. You know, these, these are remembered for big speeches and iconic moments, you know, the lines like drill, baby, drill, and even thinking back to previous conventions and uh, Goldwater's famous speech and uh, just iconic moments. Now, when you have a candidate like Donald Trump, who's not, not just a politician, but a natural showman and a, a producer of events, it's going to be even a more iconic weekend, I think, and that could week, sorry, and that could work in his favor or against because it could come off uh, very well, or it could be completely goofy as we've seen with him. So this this week uh, should give him the chance to recast his campaign, as did that 60 Minutes interview last night. But I think he sort of uh, uh, missed uh, a, a huge opportunity. But this week he'll have an opportunity to build the case for why he is not just an amusing candidate for president, but a serious candidate for president and also build the case against Hillary Clinton, which is where I think uh, he'll be more effective this week. What did you think about uh, the performance of his running mate last night on 60 Minutes, Indiana Governor Mike Pence? You know, I thought uh, Donald Trump uh, had his hand uh, up up the back there and was a very good ventriloquist with uh, Governor Pence, who at times tried to answer Leslie Strahl's questions, but uh, just seemed to always be interrupted or hijacked by uh, by his running mate. So Pence uh, definitely has some strong qualities in, in being a running mate, especially for a candidate like Donald Trump, but uh, that failed to show last night.
And just before we let you go, Michael, and great uh, commentary and insight, do you sense that there will be a turning point for Donald Trump when the rhetoric will soften? I mean, already even today, his his quest to ban Muslims, now he's calling for extreme vetting of immigrants. So he's he's starting to choose his language and soften his tone ever so slightly. And, and we've seen this since last June when he got into the race, that he'll throw out a statement, he'll get criticized, his, his remarks. Uh, you know, one of the things about Donald Trump is, you know, he, there's not uh, one issue where he hasn't had two positions uh, on it in the course of his uh, time in the public spotlight. So if you look at abortion, uh, when he came out and made some really shocking uh, suggestions that even uh, pro-life uh, voters found strange and uh, abhorrent, really, that uh, women who've had an abortion should be punished, he walked that back so quickly. So there's really nothing that Donald Trump isn't willing to say, oh, I didn't mean it that way. I didn't mm-hmm. actually say that. You, you don't know what you're talking about. So so I think we'll continue to see him uh, uh, walking back from some of his more extreme rhetoric. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Michael Diamond of Upstream Strategy Group. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.